This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, well, shame on you. This is episode number 47. In this episode, I sit down with Eric Meyer, owner of Cahaba Brewing Company in Birmingham, Alabama. Eric talks to me about how they dealt with the COVID shutdown. He also tells us about the moment he knew he wanted to start a brewery and how he feels the beer community and the firefighting community are so synonymous. Well, you have those people that always seem to get along no matter what, but then you have that other small group that doesn't really seem to get along with anybody, and they just seem to butt heads with the other group. I know exactly how that feels, because honestly, I don't think anyone likes me in a bar or in the firehouse, and I'm okay with that, because I know when I go home at night, I have my podcast episodes to hold me close and tell me everything's going to be alright. I just pray that they can do the same for you as well. And if not, just sit back, crack open a beer, and hopefully enjoy the podcast. You know I will. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast, and today I'm with Eric Meyer, owner of Cahabra Brewing Company in Birmingham, Alabama. Back in 1996, Eric Meyer attended UAB with his sights set on a career in medicine. While there, he was introduced to professors who brought in his experiences and introduced him to a new way of thinking. In his junior year, Eric had changed his mind and developed an interest in geographic information systems given his newfound love of the environment. He wound up landing an internship with the Jefferson County Stormwater Management Authority where he mapped the entire Cahaba River with GPS. Eric graduated in 2001 and continued his geographic information systems work. During that time, he completed EMT classes at UAB to become a firefighter. When he moved to a new neighborhood, he met Paul Baker, and Paul introduced Eric to a world of homebrewing, and it quickly caught his attention. When he wasn't working, Eric spent his free time using his educational background to experiment with different recipes for homebrewing. After years of praise from friends and family and perfecting his craft, he and some friends came up with a business plan to open his brewery, and in 2011, Cahaba Brewing Company was born. And Eric Myers here with me today. Eric, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. How are you? Oh, just wonderful. Right off the bat, you're a firefighter. Thank you for your work. I am. I'm also a firefighter, so I understand the uh, the lifestyle. But I'm sure you know you were brewing beer, and you were able to give it to you know the guys around you because it's like almost like a culture. But the feedback from there, uh, what was that that sparking moment for you? when you finally decided like, yeah, let's, let's open a brewery. Yeah. So for me, uh, homebrewing had all these firemen wanting to drink the beer one because it was free, uh, and two is readily available for them. Right. You know, for me, it was just a, a process of, uh, one of my buddies had been out of town at old Mecklenburg brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he was like, Eric, your beer is on par or better than these guys. Right. Uh, you need to, you need to do this in Birmingham and you know, everybody can have their opinions on the state of Alabama. Uh, one of those is always true, and that's we're way behind. Um, so in 2011, um, 2010, we only had really one brewery in town, if not only like three in the entire state of Alabama. And, you know, one of the goals for me just through my education and through a handful of other things was how can I how can I create a clean, consistent product to go on the shelves and compete with these guys, as well as with the Oscar Blues, with the uh, New Belgians, with the Great Divide. And, um, and get on tap at a local local pub. That was my original goal. Let's just get on tap. Can I have my tap on the wall at the local craft beer bar? And that would be success to me. 
Gotcha. And how did you go about uh, funding the business when you finally decided to take it to that level? Yeah. So um, for me, uh, my grandfather passed away in, in 2008. Uh, he left all the grandkids for a little bit of money. I got 10 grand. Nice. Um, I love playing in the stock market, just having some fun. Uh, I threw it in the stock market. And, you know, I thought I was like, a, you know, I need to be up there on Wall Street. And uh, the, the big thing was, is I was throwing money in the market when the market was at its bottom. So uh, I was lucky. Um, I was able to double my money. And, you know, I had 20 grand in my pocket. Uh, my original goal was to, to get with 10 of my buddies. We're all in our late 20s. And, um, yeah, let's do some gentlemen's handshakes. Let's $100 a month. Let's open up a, a small place down the street. I was going to buy the brew house myself. We were going to make four barrels of beer a week. So we were going to make about 120 gallons a week was my goal. Right. Um, I came across one of my, one of my partners. Um, uh, and he was like, you don't need 10 guys. I'm going to be your guy. Let's make this thing happen. So then from there, uh, we met with a good buddy of mine who was the founder of Free the Hops, the big movement that kind of helped grassroots movement that, that helped move craft beer in Alabama and got us you know, above 6% beers. And then we were able to have breweries with tasting rooms. And um, he's like, Eric, I've had your beer. You need to be making four, more than, you know, 120 gallons, more than four barrels of beer a week. You're going to kill yourself. This one bar will drink everything you can make. Right. Um, right. So we took a step back. Uh, I heard of some equipment being sold in the north, north of Alabama. One of the breweries that was going was ready to move from a three and a half barrel system to a, uh, to a 10 or 15 barrel system. And, um, you know, we were looking for, you know, a little under $100,000 to buy this stuff. So I brought on three other partners. We brought together pretty much $100,000. And that's, you know, that was the beginning of Cahaba Brewing Company. Right. Well, uh, God God bless Grandpa and God bless the uh, recession. <laughs> right. Right. There, there are some positive things that come out of these scenarios. You're right, you're right. So uh, from the moment you, you started, when you finally, you know, started uh, opening your brewery to the moment you finished, when you were actually building, what would you say was one of the hardest things you had to deal with during that time? One of the hardest things we had to deal with was, uh, you know, our city. Uh, the city of Birmingham is a great city. Um, you know, we, by the time we were getting ready to open, we were the third brewery in town. And they, they weren't sure what they were doing. They weren't sure. The city wasn't sure what breweries were. Um, this is something new. This is wild, wild west. And they weren't really sure what was going on. Um, so for me, I brought in this, this boiler, this kettle. Um, I mean, it's a brew kettle. Uh, it was where you bring in the wort, you boil it, and you add the hops and whatever. Right. Um, it came from Huntsville. It came down here. The city of Birmingham said, that is a boiler. And I was like, uh, it's not a boiler. Boilers build pressure. This is just a big pot. And he goes, no, it's a boiler right here. Code says a boiler is anything that boils a liquid. Oh, Period. boy. Oh, boy. Um, so from there, I had to get this thing UL listed or ETL listed. Um, that cost me you know, somewhere around $15,000. It took about four months. Uh, the manufacturer for the equipment actually said, there's no way in hell you're going to get this thing UL listed. Um, and so just having to go through that, and at the end of the day, you know, the city was like, hey, now you know that your equipment's safe. And that, that was it. So I'm like, it was safe before. It was fine when I had it. And now I had to spend this money just so it has a little sticker on it that now it's approved. And again, you know, I work for the government. I understand. 
Right. There's regulations that we got to play by them. Um, it was just one of those to where it was just a it was just a tough scenario to kind of play out, especially for a young business that's you know trying to get off the ground. Right. I mean, you speak of working for the government and um, how important the environment is to you. Uh, how does that role play into your brewery? You know, we want to we want to create a clean, consistent product. We want to make sure that everything that we do is, you know, top-notch, high-quality. And that was a blessing for me out of the gate is, you know, as a firefighter, I'd work a day and I'd be off, too. I'd work a day and I'm off, too. Right, for and sure. And because of that, I didn't take a salary. I didn't get any money out of the gate. I was the, I was the brewer. Uh, I was working seller. A couple of my other partners had – we all had full-time jobs at other places. They would come in at night and do a lot of my seller work and try to help out. But what was great about that was if we had a batch of beer that wasn't quality, it, it never made it out the door. It never made it to the taps because, you know, we, we didn't need that to pay my salary. We didn't need that to put food on the table for my family. Right. And we were able to focus on quality. And then from that, you know, connecting that back to the environment is trying to make sure that everything that we do as a business, as a homeowner, um, as, a, as a person in the community, how can we keep you know, our environment safe by doing the best thing that we can at every single moment. You know, how can we pay attention to our waste? How can we pay attention to our, our utility usage? Um, how can we then also know that, you know, we, we're making money. I mean, people are spending five, six dollars for a pint of beer or, a, or pour a beer. We're making money on that. Now, you know, we had overhead. We got to We got to pay for equipment. We got to pay for grease. We got to pay for all those things. There's still money at the end of the day because beer's getting expensive, you know. So yeah. why not take that money back and, and support the Cahaba River Society, support the Cahaba River Keepers, support all the other organizations that we can in the community and throughout the state to, you know, help raise awareness and do cleanups and do anything that we can to, you know, better our own neighborhoods and our own community. Yeah, definitely. Make more money to give back more. That's awesome. One of my questions that I always ask is, uh, what's something you never thought you would have to deal with uh, in this industry? But also, on top of that, obviously, you, I'm sure you didn't expect to deal with a COVID shutdown. How did you guys go about dealing with that? Um, yeah, that is something that we never, you never planned on. I mean, right. the fire service, we never planned on it, even though we are, we're planning for Ebola and we're planning for anthrax. We're planning for all these things, and all of a sudden, of COVID comes, and we're like, what in the world's happening? Um, yeah, there was no way to plan for this. Um, so what what we were able to do is, you know, the state shut down, completely shut down for a, for a short period of time. Nothing like New York City, nothing like San Francisco. Right. My sister's out there. and um, But, you know, there was a period of time to where I think we were completely shut down for only about two to three weeks. Um but then from there, you know, that you're able to get out and get to essential businesses. Uh, because we produce a food, because we are a beverage producer, um, our facility never shut down. Um, you know, my guys were, were blessed. My guys and girls that work here were blessed because we never shut down. Yes. And production in the back was always rolling. And I always have to say, you know, again, we always find the bright side to all these things. You know, thank you to all the people that were able to spend more time at their homes with their families and, and, and their close neighbors and we're able to enjoy beer at home because, you know, canned beer, packaged product, you know, the, those volumes went up, which meant that I was able to keep my guys and girls working, 
and keep money coming in to hopefully keep, you know, we kept paying them. Um, but what we were also able to do is we were able to do uh, some to-go beers. Um, we already had cans. We were doing crowlers. We were doing growlers. Um, we were we were on the cusp of, of doing spirits. We we're also distillery. Um, we had not planned on pushing that into the market until June of 2020. Um, we had back stock that we were getting ready for June. And when that hit, it was like, you know, again, kind of like a firehouse. What the hell do we do? Right. Um, we immediately got our labels approved and started selling these bottles of vodka and gin and whiskey and peated whiskey and um, right out the front door. Okay. Um, and that was that was huge. And from that, we were then able to you know start doing take home cocktail kits where we we prepare little uh, little pint bottles of cocktail mixes and you would take that in a in a, a ginger ale and in our whiskey and make a drink or vodka and make a drink. So we were able to also stay, you know, creative and and innovative and keep all of our people engaged. Um, also gave the community an outlet to come and show support. Uh, I mean, the tips that my people were my bartenders, um, we, we brought on a couple of them. We already had a few that were full time. We brought on a couple that were almost full time beforehand. We brought them on full time. But the amount of tips that those people those bartenders got just working the door people come in and buy a bottle $20 bottle of vodka and they they hand them you know $30 right and it's like you know just seeing that support from the local community was, was huge right yeah I can imagine it's a good feeling since you opened in 2011 to now you're uh you fit 11 years I mean I'm sorry 10 years now what do you think is the hardest adjustment you had to make throughout that whole time you know, for me, coming from the firehouse, you know, there's a there's a a really cool thing that people that are not in the beer world don't don't know, and that's that the beer community is as close or almost as close of a community as the firefighter community. Um, you know, you can put a couple of firefighters in a bar together, and there's a good chance that 90% of them are going to get along. They're going to drink beer together. And they're going to have a have a blast. You know, there's still the 10 percent that are going to end up fist fight. Right. Um, it's the same way in the beer community. Um, you can put brewers and people in the beer world together, and no matter where you're from, there's that common thing that's coming together. Right. And and it's a really cool thing. So so in that, you know, I'm always been blessed. I have two careers that I love, um, two careers that have provided in a sense a family network for me. Um, so. So for me, one of the hardest things has been just personnel issues. Um, it's just, you know, you've got so many great people. And again, from the fire service, you know, not all personalities come together right. Of things course. Happen. Of and, course. And, and that's just what happens. Right. And for me, it's just, it's just hard um, because, you know, so many people have been with me for a number of years and, you know, just all of a sudden something happens and here we are. And now we have to work through it. Um, and it's just, it, I would say that's the hardest thing for me because so much of that I take personally. Um, and, and I don't take it personally as in like I've failed, but it's like, I just haven't helped this person succeed the way that, that I should have. Right. And, and to me, to me, that's hard. Now at the same time, I would say that's one of my proudest moments. You know, I've, I've had, um, three of my, three of my people from Cahaba, um, move on to, to new uh, 
new places, bigger breweries, dream jobs. And, and that's really, that's like a, um, a proud thing for me because it's just cool to see somebody that started with us, that was in the industry with us, that worked with us and has continued to be able to move on and, and go to things that we all dream about doing. And so, so yeah, it's a really hard thing when you have to deal with it from the, from the negative side, but at the same time, you know, it's a, it's, it's one of the things that makes you, I, I mean, to be honest, I am more proud about that than I am that, you know, our blonde is one of the best selling beers in Birmingham. Right. You know, I mean, that's a cool thing. Being that one of the best selling beers in Birmingham is, is awesome. But the fact that I've been able to have people that have worked here and are going on to dream careers because of what we did here is, 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 makes me prouder as a, as a business owner and as a person. Right. Like watching your kid graduate from college. It's like, oh, what a feeling. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure you, you've come across hundreds of people in the uh, beer industry. Who do you think's inspired you the most in the beer industry? The guys at Sierra Nevada. Okay. The, the fact of where they've been, what they've been able to do, and continue to stay their path is very inspirational to me. Uh, brewery in Wisconsin that has never left the state. Um, New Glarus, that brewery, continues to produce ultra-high quality products, is in the top 50 breweries in the U.S., and they've never sent beer outside of their own state. Wow. Two other ones that really stand out to me are um, Oscar Blues. Right. Uh, Oscar Blues, you know, the guy is Dan. He's from uh, Auburn, went to Auburn, down here in Alabama. Um, he's been able to do some really cool things, and they've always been innovative. They've always been on the front end of all the cool things that we as brewers want to be doing, you know, putting beer into cans way back when, being innovative about buying other breweries and trying to make changes and, and, and consolidation. The fact he's got a dang bike that he created, you know, the Reeve bike. I mean, I'm a, I'm a mountain biker. Right. I think that's one of the coolest things ever. I want one of those bikes. But then also... Uh, the guys at Creature Comforts, um, they're in Athens, Georgia. These guys are actually a little bit younger in brewery years than, than we are. But just what those guys, that team has been able to do. Um, I always say I have a bromance for that brewery. <laughs> um, one of my guys that I was talking about is going to work for Creature Comforts. If I was to ever leave Cahaba, I would go work for Creature Comforts. I mean, that's where I would go, you know, unless the Sierra Nevada job opened up. But, right. you know, Creature would be that place that I would want to go work just because of the, the camaraderie, the quality of the products, the innovation of what's going on, the innovation of the teams, everything about it. They, yeah. Creature is, you know, I've got a bromance. I mean, it's just, gotcha. just such a, such a good group of guys and right. girls. And, uh, how do you, your, yourself define success? You know, that's, uh, what, it's fun that you asked that question this morning. I was actually doing some mentorship, for one of the guys in the firehouse. Um, he's looking to try to become a driver. Um, he did the last interview process. Uh, he didn't make it that time. He's hoping to make it one of these next few times. And I was trying to help him understand that, you know, promotions and getting those titles, is that really what success is? You know, I mean, the guy works in an ER as a nurse on his days off. He's got an awesome family. He needs to determine what his success is. For me, you know, that is, that is a challenge. I'm a lieutenant in the firehouse. The next step for me is to be a battalion chief. Is that really what would define me in success there? Well, no. No, it's the fact that I have young guys coming to me for mentoring and leadership advice, 
people asking to be on my truck when like my driver's about to retire in, in December, people asking to be on my truck. I actually had one of my old, one of my rookies ask me to officiate his wedding. I mean, what kind of success is that? To me, that is huge. Right. In the bureau world, the ability to continue to create a business that can makes a high quality product and I can have a sustainable business that provides careers for people. To me, that's success. You know, as, as a guy, I, I get jealous because we're not a, we're not the brewery that people seek out. We're not the treehouse, you know, in Boston. Right. We're not the trilliums. We're not somebody that people are traveling all over the country to cut, try to combine, but we make a high quality product. We are a, you know, one of the best selling beers here in Birmingham and I have people that come to work for me that have left other breweries and been like, I'm out of the industry. This industry sucks. And then they come here and are like, this is what the beer industry can be like. Right. And I'm like, yeah, we can, we can take care of our employees. We can provide benefits. We can give them volunteer opportunities and give them time off to go do that. You know, I want to, I want to hear your ideas and help me make this place better. So to me, that's success. You know, I'd love to say, yeah, we're going to make 25,000 barrels of beer a year and that would be successful to me. Or, you know, I'd love to win a GABF medal. I mean, and none of these are bad. None of these would I look down on. Right. But at the, at the end of, at the end of this, wherever that is, you know, the ability to have people again going on the creature to work, going to stone and work, you know, I mean, that's, that's huge. And, you know, we've been very good about turnover here. Here recently, we've had a couple turnovers. So I can't say we have very low turnover here now. But, you know, the, the guy who's leaving me has been with me for five years. Right. And I'm a top-notch individual. And, you know, it's even at the point of if you ever want to come back, you just tell me and I'll find a job here for you, you know. So so, so to me, that's success more than more than awards or an EBIT of XYZ or whatever. So, Right. Yeah. Five years is not a short time, you know. So no. that's, that's a good amount of time for somebody to be at a place. I'm sure at times it could be a slight bit stressful uh, owning a business. How important is a mental break for you, and what does that look like? Yeah, mental breaks are huge. Um, I've struggled with that for many years. Um, before I became a lieutenant, I, I was a driver. You know, when I would go to the firehouse as a driver, you know, responsibility was the truck and doing doing these things with the truck. But you know, I always had a lieutenant. He was always the one in charge. He was the one that always kind of guided everything, and I wasn't responsible. Um, once I became a lieutenant, everything changed. Right. And so when before the firehouse was my mental break, it was my way to just get away, um, to hang out with the guys, to work out, to do some training, do the cool stuff firemen like to do, run the calls and all that. Once I became a lieutenant, I didn't have that anymore. Um, just because of the responsibility, the concern about training my guys, the concerns about dealing with, you know, battalion chiefs, again, it's a mess. But so, so I've struggled with that. You know, it's put a strain on my marriage. My wife and I have talked about it. Um, and what I've had to do, two things is one, I, I have to dedicate time away from the brewery. Um, you know, I have to, I try to pull like a normal work day at the brewery, you know, a seven to five kind of thing. Right, right. Um, so then I go home at night and I can spend time with my kids. And I can spend time with my wife. We do date nights every Friday night if we can, if I'm not at the firehouse. Right. Um, the other thing I've started doing, and I actually picked this up during COVID, um, you know, I, I joined a gym, um, not just like CrossFit or something. I'm doing uh, jujitsu, Brazilian awesome. jujitsu. Very cool. And 
the goal there is, you know, and that's what I was running late today is I need an hour. It's at lunch. I'm not taking time away from my family. I'm actually walking away from the brewery and I'm going there and I'm engaging myself. And what's awesome about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is it's like, it's like kick my ass chest. You know, it's when I am done, I almost feel like I'm going to vomit because I'm so exhausted, but your brain is exhausted just from trying to think through each step of what the guy's doing that you're rolling with and how can I play two steps ahead of him? And you just have to, and I, and the guys here know it's like, it's Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays, you know, about 11, 15, I'm skipping out. Okay. I'll be back at one, one o'clock. I'm back on the clock and we're running. I need to, I need to make that time just so that I can get some clarity and, and get some uh, calmness. The other thing is I really try to get on my mountain bike. Um, most of my kids ride. I try to get them riding. But that's, again, that's a, that's another step because you got to go and get the bike and get them ready. And, you know, so I don't do that as much as I, I wish I could. Gotcha. Well, we appreciate the time you're giving us now. I know your schedule is probably uh, insane with working, you know, your job, you know, keeping healthy for the physical and mental, everything else that falls in, in with it. I appreciate it. One of my favorite questions, what was your gateway beer into the craft beer world. What's wild about it is back when I was in high school, uh, one of my buddies had signed up for one of these beer of the month clubs. Right. Okay. You know, who knows, who knows how much he lied on it, but, uh, all of a sudden he was actually getting a uh, Samuel Adams beer shipped into the state of Alabama, which again, is completely illegal sent to a 16 year old <laughs> again, completely illegal. And, um, so I remember drinking, uh, Samuel Adams, Boston lager and, right the ale um, back in high school. Now, back then, it was horrible. I hated it. It was sucked. Um, but it wasn't really until uh, college, you know, you started getting away from the macro worlds. You started trying to find, like, the Newcastles and some things like that to, to give you something a little bit more because you weren't trying to get uh, quantity. You're trying to get actually quality. Right, of course. Um, and then from there, you know, Sierra Nevada. I mean, Sierra Nevada's pale ale. It's still one of my favorite beers. You know, you, you have the fat tire whenever you go out in Colorado. Right. That was phenomenal beer. You had the Boston Lager, which was good. And um, actually, one of our first beers we created at Cahaba um, was a Hoppy Amber. And my my dream goal with that was to create the, the blend of a Boston Lager and, a, and a, a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. You know, Bostons are good. They're just, to me, just a little too sweet. You can have one maybe two and you're done. Um, the pale oils are good, but you know, you just, I need a little bit more maltiness to kind of help, help balance it out a little bit more with respect to food. And, um, so we created a beer we called liquid Ambar out of the gate and we kind of ran with it. Now, do we make it today? No. Uh, uh, we have a, it's like a Porter, everybody who loves it, that's all they want. Um, but nobody else wants to touch it. So, um, you know, you don't see a ton of ambers in the market these days, and that was kind of one of the uh, one of the victims of that. Gotcha. What do you think's next for your brewery? Uh, what does the future look like? You know, that's that's something that you know we should be challenging ourselves with on a monthly basis, if not quarterly basis. You know, the the thing we're actually trying to work on right now is uh, we brought on an extra salesperson, so. Um, 
we we normally had two salespeople to cover the state of Alabama. Uh, we brought on a third, and our goal is to really dig in deep. Um, you know, everybody the craft beer talks about drinking local, drink local, drink local, drink local. Right. And then we all want to expand. You know, we all want to go to other states. And and so you see through the last Brewer Association um, report that came out. You know, a lot of your macro, not macro, a lot of your big national and regional brands um, had decreases in 2020. A lot of your smaller ultra local breweries had growth. Right. And and it's because when, you know, when, you know, New York's a completely different area than Birmingham. I'll just, I'll stop there. But in Birmingham, in Atlanta, in um, uh, Nashville, you know, when, when I travel to these towns, when I'm there at a restaurant, what do you have that's local? What do you have that's that's around the corner? I'm always going to the breweries trying to drink that. Right. Same so here. Same here. Why, yes. So why do I expect, you know, somebody in Atlanta to drink Cahaba? Um, there's a lot of great breweries in, in Atlanta. There's Creature is in Athens right off of Atlanta. If right. I'm in Atlanta, I'm drinking Creature. Um, so, so for Cahaba, we're trying to really dig in deep into our local communities. We think there's a lot more room here. Um, especially in the communities that are that are different than the normal craft beer drinker, um, you know, one of the things that that craft beer has has fallen short on, and that's diversity. And so we are trying to dig into that completely in many different facets, from educational opportunities through scholarships at Auburn University, through Cicerone scholarships, through just more education. Um, so that's that's some things that we're trying to do. You know, what we would consider, um, you know, low-hanging fruit, things that are right here in our own backyard. Now, from, from there, um, you know, I would love to actually open up Atlanta. It's two hours away from me. I mean, you right. get there and back for lunch if you really want to. So, so why not enter into that market and try to make a, make a play at it? Um, we just haven't had the, the opportunity as ownership to really sit down and make a good game plan to to do that, and and we need to. Um, but again, you know, for us, the focus is so much has been local that it's hard to when you have all that low hanging fruit to not just continue to go after it. Um, the the last thing for us is really the state of Alabama is changing some laws for us, and it is going to allow a brewery to transfer beer to another location of similar ownership. So the ability for me to go to Huntsville, Alabama, which is the second biggest city in the state, right. or to go to the coast um, and open up another Cahaba Brewing Company right. there Make and allow transfers from a major manufacturing facility to a minor um, would be huge. Right. Because just making, then we just making like a tap room? even more of that local game. Just making like a tap room in the area, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. So, like a small little five barrel brew house, maybe two fermenters, so you can do some local, just their beers, right. and then like our American Blonde or our Blonde is, you know, is the best seller across the board. So the ability to not have to make that beer in that location and just be able to put it on a truck and carry it down there, very cool, um, would would be huge. All right. Well, you talk, you talk about creatures comforts. I never, I've never had that. Uh, before, but I have. I mean, and you talk and you say it's in Athens, Georgia. I've had had terrapin before, but I'm sure terrapin might be a little bit bigger than them. I, I suppose because I've been able to get that up here. But um, yes, yes, I would love to terrapin try. I would love actually, to try uh, it on your recommendation. I want to say 
yeah, yeah, Creature is Creature's great. Um, Terrapin is actually partially owned by, uh, I think, Peter Kors. Uh, he bought he bought some shares of Terrapin, I don't know, probably eight years ago. Okay. And I don't, again, don't hold me to any facts here. Right. But, you know, the, the rumor is, is that, you know, they asked him a year or two later, you know, would you have done that again? And he said, hell no, I would have bought twice or three times as many shares. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's just kind of a kind of a cool story there. Right. Yeah, they have a lot of good stuff that I've tried that I like. Yeah. Um, so if somebody came to you, and uh, which I'm sure they do, and they ask you about opening their own place, uh, their own brewery, what would you tell them? I think, yes, let's do it. Go for it. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a ton of, not a ton, we got a good number of people that have come through here. Um, some of them have opened their own places and are successful. Some of them... Uh, from spending some time with me, um, have learned that they never want to do that. Um, you know, again, we talked about the community is huge. And for me, the community is huge. And if I can help grow craft beer in the state of Alabama, then that means my brewery is going to grow. Um, you know, in the state of Alabama, you know, we're drinking, you know, sub 10% of all beer sold in the state is craft beer. And if we could, if we could get up to the national average, that means my brewery is going to grow, you know, 40%, which right. is great. It's huge. Um, so the ability to continue to introduce more people to local by having more local breweries, more local brew pubs, that is great. Um, the big thing that I would educate, and I, I do this with everybody, and some listen, some don't. I mean, again, they're all their own small business owners, is uh, really focus on um, uh, the, the small brew pub model. Now, COVID kicked them all in the teeth, but... You know, there's one down the street, Birmingham District. Kale does a great job there. Um, they have a, a small brew house. They're producing some great, awesome beers. They're canning them there and just selling them out the door. And um, I'm like, man, just keep, you know, he keeps talking to me about distribution. And I'm like, man, if you really want to, do it. But keep doing what you're doing. And again, keep your staff small. Take care of your people. And just keep, you know, keep doing that because, you know, getting into a, a, a large chain grocery store, a Walmart, a local grocery store, dealing with distributors, it's a lot of work that I think people don't, don't consider. Right. Um, and, and people think that, hey, I'm going to make this beer, this distributor is going to buy it for me, and they have to put it on the shelf. And I want to say, well, they don't have to, they have to try, they don't have to. And be aware, like I told you earlier, I've got three salespeople in the market, and their job is to secure Cahaba taps and to make sure people are drinking Cahaba. So unless you're ready to get salespeople into the market, remember, I'm not trying to go after local local taps. I'm not trying to take local placements. But if a place only has six taps, you know, my guys are going to do, you know, they're going to. We're very respectful. We don't do any of the shady crap all these other breweries do. But, you know, we're going to be respectful. And we're going to do our job on trying to get our beer on tap. Of course. So, right. you know, just, and I try to tell these guys that, and, and a lot of them do listen. Um, but I just don't think a lot of them realize that there's a lot that goes into, you know, taking, you know, meeting with these retail accounts and making sure that everybody's happy and making sure everything's taken care of. And again, we don't even make the sale. The distributor makes the sale. So, again, if you don't take care of the distributor, 
then they might not even sell the product even though the bars told you that they want to buy your product. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's just a lot more that goes into it than I think most people are aware of. Um, but no, I don't, I don't tell anybody, you know, stick your money in the toilet, flush it and run away. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm all about, Hey, let's, let's go. You know, if you want me to look over your business plan, you want to run ideas by me, I'm more than happy. Come on in. I've got free beer. Let's sit and drink and, you know, talk about this. Right. Um, I, I even had a, a guy trying to do his own craft sodas. And, uh, man, we went through probably two hours of his business plan and everything was good until he told me that, or I asked him, how's this thing going to be served? And he said, oh, it's going to go on tap and uh, they're going to be able to pull it off, you know, whatever, like a Sprite off a, a, a beer tap. Right. And I was like, well, well, you know, Eddie, I'll just tell you right here, you have just become a competitor of mine. Right. You know, you're taking a tap handle from a brewery, so you've now become a competitor of mine. So just be aware that, you know, are, is, the brewer, or is the bar going to make the same margin on your soda as they are on my beer? And if they're not, then, you know, be aware that the, the bar, the restaurant, is probably not going to put it on if they don't make at least as much money as they do on the beer. Yeah, for sure. And then know that you're fighting my salespeople, you know, good people, salespeople, trim tab salespeople, all the other brewery salespeople in the area. You know, we're all fighting for those same six or 12 or 24 taps. Um, let alone my buddy Randy, who works for Stone. He's trying to get Stone taps. You know, I mean, again, as this, as this community keeps growing and growing, there's not the number of pack handles isn't growing and growing. So, of course, right. Um, it, it just becomes a, a tougher game that I don't think people are as aware of. I feel like it's a tightly knit community. Uh, you know, it's a it's like a brotherhood, the the brewing industry. But there's also there's going to be competition because everybody needs to make their business work. That's what they want. That's what they're getting into the game for. So, uh, Eric, did you happen to have a funny story for us? Yeah, yeah. So thinking about, thinking about a funny story, um, the best one I come up with is, uh, I mean, there's a ton, but for, for me, the one that stands out the most, and one of my, uh, a, another driver at the firehouse, he, he was my taproom manager for a number of years. And um, we were at the old brewery, and we're hanging out, and I had, um, you know, NTR, um, the local affiliate was, was at the brewery. And man, I was, you know, I was having like one of those proud business owner moments. I got dang NPR doing a live, not live, but a, a recorded interview with me while I'm working through the process. Right. And, uh, my buddy, he's over at the bar kind of hanging out and everything's kind of real close together. And man, I was sitting there and I was just talking, you know, as you can tell, I enjoy talking and I was just <laughs> talking away. I was unhooking this hose from the dang brew kettle. And I was like, in my head, I'm going, why is this tri-clamp not releasing? There's something. Uh, I don't know why these stupid tri-clamps aren't releasing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it was like a transformer blue. Boom! <laughs> and what it was is, I had uh, because I was distracted by talking to NPR guy, I didn't turn off the oxygen. Um, we, we oxygenate our wort on its way to the fermenter. Okay. Get the yeast some oxygen to kind of start through the process. Well, because I was talking with him, I forgot to turn the oxygen off. And the hose had sat there and just pressurized with pure oxygen. Um, I didn't know that. I wasn't paying attention. I was distracted. Right. And when that thing let loose, the guy from NPR and myself were covered with hot material 
hot or um, wort, uh, hot break, all these things that oh, come out of the bottom geez. of the kettle and were in these hoses and just covered. And Watkins is over there. Heath Watkins, my station guy, is over there just rolling in the floor. Cause he's like, <laughs> there you go. Get that bad boy recorded on PR and their professional, you know? And, uh, he still laughs about it today. We'll cross, we'll cross trucks or he'll be at the station one day and he'll be like, Hey guys, you guys ever heard the story about how Eric tried to blow up NPR? Um, so yeah, just, just good old times. Right. What a proud moment. <laughs> yeah. 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 Here I am professional, right? Professional on the radio. Right. Uh, well, you're doing all right here. You can't blow me up from, from over the phone. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I have a little segment called quick fire five, uh, five quick questions, okay. beer related. Ready? Yes. Okay. One of your beers that you'd recommend someone try. Um, I would really recommend for people to try, uh, our, our lager. Um, it's an Italian lager. Um, it's something a little different than a lot of the other lagers in the market. Um, for me, you know, earlier we talked about clean, consistent. Um, you know, in my world, in my world, a, uh, a good clean lager, a good West Coast style IPA is what people should be seeking in a brewery. Right. Maybe it's just because I'm an old man. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but that's what, if people walk in our door, that's what I'm going to kind of drive them towards because right. then that also opens up their eyes to, it's a good gateway beer, but then also as a as a brewer, as a as other brewers in the back of our facility, as other brewers come in from other breweries, what do they tend to drink? They're they're drinking that. Right. Favorite brewery other than yours? Favorite brewery other than mine is going to be Creature Comforts. Okay. Um, my bromance, my bro bromance goes <laughs> far and long for them. So uh, kind of play with that one if you want. Um, yeah, they. They do a lot of things, and I was actually telling my guy that's headed that way here in, in a month. I was like, "Hey, you know, if you ever hear them kind of griping about this brewery over in Birmingham, that you know, kind of, you know, imitates them on so many levels, just know that that is me. And you know, flattery or imitation is the highest level of flattery. So right. um, they they just do. I mean, their IPA um, is is a top notch, high quality. You know, it's this um, West Coast-ish style. It's crisp. It's clear. I mean, I love it. Um, and then they have their uh, their their lager that is just again. I mean, it's it's awesome. Everything those guys that whole team does is is top. Gotcha. Favorite style of beer? Oh, you, you've heard me talk about lagers and lagers and more lagers. Right. Um, I'm guessing it's know. I'm guessing it's lagers. <laughs> It's going to be a lager. Yes, and it will be an Oktoberfest. Um, you know, if if I had one beer that I, that was all I was going to be able to drink for the rest of my life, uh, it would be a Marzen or an Oktoberfest. Last beer you drank that blew you away? It's a, it's, it's a pretty hard, it's a pretty hard task to blow me away. Um, they always laugh that if I say, oh, that's pretty good. They're like, oh, we scored. <laughs> we made it to the top. Um, you know, God, I'm trying to go down, down my list. You know, we did a, we did a, um, a, uh, Mexican coffee imperial stout that we barrel aged. Oh, that sounds and, great. you know, the, the cinnamon, um, the, the cayenne pepper, right? man, that just, that was just one of those. Now I couldn't drink a ton of it. Um, one, because I'm still a lightweight, um, amazing i've been drinking beer forever i run a tank brewery i 
but I'm still lightweight. Two, you know, two six percent beers, and I'm feeling a buzz. Um, and this this thing was, you know, ten and a half percent. So, you know, for me, you know, a little four ounce pour of that, um, little six ounce pour of that is 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 great and it's wonderful. Um, so that would be, I would say, that would be the last beer that I've had that truly blew me away. All right. Well, and you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. What beer are you choosing? Yeah, uh, you know, so, you know, it's stepping into my head is, uh, and I haven't brought up any of this, is, um, you know, like a Duchess or Flanders, um, you know, with how I was able to enjoy quarantine was, Cooking uh, again. I'm out of the firehouse. I mean, right. You know, I'm, I'm in the firehouse. In two days, I'm home with my family. What am I going to do while I'm home? Well, I'm yeah, I'm making all kinds of all kinds of different foods and different versions of apple pies and doing that. So to me, you know, a good Flanders would be nice um, with that tartness, um, just just that sourness to kind of keep keep things entertaining. And it would go well with so many of the rich dishes that you end up cooking while you're at the house. Right. Um, you know, the other side is, you know, um, a, uh, a big, a big double IPA would be great. Um, if I only had a six barrel of it, if I had five gallons and, um, you know, we're, we're truly stuck like, you know, San Francisco or New York was, you know, where you're like, okay, you can't even like get off your block. Um, you know, and you just need a way to kind of cut the, uh, cut the pain. Um, you know, Something like that would have been nice. Um, but no, I drank, uh, we have a pale ale here, very hot forward, 4.1%. Uh, for me, during our COVID, that's what I was drinking. Um, just because, you know, it's now 4 o'clock, it's cocktail hour, and right. it's time to drink some beers, you know. Hey, um, and I can drink somewhere. a couple and still, you know, still function and enjoy time with the kids and not be drilling on myself. So, gotcha. Um, Again, it comes down to quality with the product as well as quality with your time with your family. For sure. Well, Eric, that's all I got for you, man. Awesome. I appreciate you taking out the time. Yeah. Any more questions, holler at me. Um, I'm ha- as you can tell, I'm happy to talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast with Eric Meyer, owner of Cahabra Brewing Company in Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you, man. Yes, sir. Hey, stay safe on the job. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Eric Meyer, owner of Cahaba Brewing Company in Birmingham, Alabama. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check him out. Also, give him a follow on social media while you're at it. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe, and you'll never miss one. Also, check us out on social media for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.